My name's Jim Derrick, and welcome to another edition of Chapters. The premise of this show is that everyone has a story, and every story is worth telling. And the thing that I love about doing this show is that you never know where your next story is going to come from. Today's show is a perfect example of that, as I just met these young men two days ago. In studio today, we have Randolph Thurman and Takeem Gomes, recent winners of the Turtle Tank Contest, a contest put on by the Communications Department here at Dean College. We'll have a wide-ranging conversation with these young men as we get to hear more about their life story and their project, which wound up winning the Turtle Tank Contest. All that much more coming up next on Chapters. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Chapters. My name's Jim Derrick, and on today's program, we're going to talk to two Dean College students who have very interesting stories. I want to introduce everybody to Takim Gomes. What's up? Welcome, Takim. Thanks for having me. And to Randolph Thurman. Thank Welcome, you. Randolph. Thank you for having me. Um, I met both uh, these gentlemen as they won a very interesting contest called the Turtle Tank at uh, Dean College. Yes. Tell me, tell me more about that contest and what it involved. Well, we'll start with me because okay. unfortunately I couldn't be there. I was uh, 30,000 feet in the air, as I like to say. Uh, I was headed to Houston to uh, deal with some uh, family business. Got um, it. We had Randolph there to represent us. And he did well. He took home, took home the prize. Tell me more about the project. So the project was to create a vlog and create a... Um, like a media handle right. type thing. And pitch it to a to a board of representatives like Pete um, and we created a radio talk show that would encompass campus life so everything from being on campus the students on campus talking to athletes teachers and everything else really like music sports fashion fashion all the good mm -hmm. stuff right mm -hmm. well uh, the pete that they're referencing is pete faciano pete is the creator director of uh, franklin public radio and uh, franklin public access tv he has a, he's a very accomplished man as you found out yes, and uh, as i mentioned to both of you to get a compliment from pete in terms of a yay vote is is a very very high compliment, and and I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that you got that. Now, to be clear, this this show is designed to be hopefully syndicated, right? Wouldn't be just limited to Dean. Yes. yes. Right. And uh, Takeem, you're the senior. I am the senior. You are the senior, so you'll be moving on. Yep. Uh, you'll be here another year, Randolph. Right? Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, so it's interesting that the turtle tank. Uh, obviously, that's a play on Shark Tank, mm -hmm. right? So uh, how many entries were there? Would you say roughly? There were like six, I would say. We had a group, like we. He wanted us to pair up in groups. Yep. Um, I believe there were like six other people, mm -hmm. like six other groups mm -hmm. that went. So, mm -hmm. well, I was as I was explaining to to Keen and Randolph when they came in. Um, one of the reasons that I love doing this show is that, uh, of course, the premise of the show is that everybody has a story, and every story is worth telling. And I can tell you, I spoke to both a little bit off air, and of course. Both of these gentlemen have stories, and both of them are fascinating uh, and motivating in their own right. So, Takeem, I wanted to start with you. Uh, you are now a college senior here at Dean. That's correct. And, but you didn't get here the traditional way. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, Can you talk was... to me a little bit about, about your journey? So, I originally was at Regis College. Mm -hmm. um, I was there for basketball, yep. um, strictly basketball. Uh I was there from 2008 to 2010. I was a member of the men's basketball program. As we went on, you know, the season went on, I kind of 
had a feeling that you know this wasn't really the place for me mm-hmm. so you know i was kind of getting into it with the coaches with the the professors i wasn't really doing my work i wasn't really focused um I how, had, how old were you then i was like 21 okay so i had a lot of things kind of going on in the background as well which kind of led or was like a burden on me the fact that i was in school and i just couldn't really pull it all together and get through it i didn't really have the support that i needed on campus so I, there was no one i could talk to because i felt like i couldn't relate so i ended up withdrawing i was um out of school for like three and a half years i had my first daughter around the same time i withdrew and then um i ended up back here yeah. and what's your daughter's name uh Jalice. Jalice. Yeah. and she's now seven she's now seven yep. yeah so you wound up back in dean how did how did the opportunity to dean come up so as i mentioned earlier i was out of school for you know three and a half four years i was working throughout the city uh working with the youth back home in cambridge uh cambridge youth programs and that's when i kind of found my niche of what i wanted to do so you know i always had the idea of working with the youth and giving back to the community um i feel like it's important that you know kids that are growing up in every community almost have someone who can relate to them because you know we've been there and I think that's where the passion grew about. So within my years being out of school, I was at Bunker Hill taking a couple of classes and I got a phone call from a friend of mine who gave me the opportunity to actually come back on an academic scholarship and continue my education. And the opportunity was afforded through who? Through uh, him directly or through an organization? It was through the Life is Good program. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a company they I mean, it's it's hard to explain what they do because it seems like they do everything. They started out yeah, with a couple of guys yeah, selling t-shirts. Started out with and, yeah, a couple yeah. guys uh, selling t-shirts. Uh, Bert and Jacob, who yeah. I actually also know myself. That's great. Um, and then their friend Steve, who ended up joining along and branching off with their own company called Project Joy. And Steve is a personal family friend of mine. Like he was there the day I was born to, you know, now. Actually, he called me earlier today when I was picking up Randolph to come here. So it's kind of crazy how <laughs> that kind of comes into uh, fruition. But, yeah. um, yeah, so he gave me a call when I was leaving class. And then he um, tells me, you know, I got this opportunity for you to go back to school. You know, my company's partnered up with Dean. Give you a full ride. We'll pay for, you know, the education. They'll give you grant money back for your books, you know, food for a meal plan. You would just have to find a way to campus. So, you know, at the time I didn't have a car. I was taking public transportation, so I had to take the train, commuter rail. And it was kind of a problem, but it worked out because then I ended up getting a car and then it made everything a lot easier. But um, my personal tie with Steve comes again from when I was a child. My mother was homeless when I was born and I'm the first son well, not first son. I'm the youngest, actually. Um, three girls. I'm the only son. So my mother was homeless when she had me, and Steve was actually helping her find, like, you know, shelters and housing and stuff throughout the city of Cambridge and um, through the YWCA. So every Saturday, while my mother was out, you know, doing whatever she had to do, she would send us, me and my sisters, to the YWCA to do, like, programs uh, that kind of built project joy in a sense to where they help kids with trauma deal with traumas yeah um early on so that's what we were doing and you know it was great because you know they teach you how to have fun even though like you know times may be hard it spreads joy optimism it really kind of like helps you cope with you know what's going on and how to stay positive through it all and 
um, if you actually look up the company Project Joy, you'll see Steve, like, he's worldwide now. He has, like, a, a group called, you know, Project Joy Playmakers, which is a group of people who go out and spread optimism throughout the world. They take trips. They run programs for all types of kids who may be dealing with any type of issue. Um, you name it, they help, you know, spread optimism through it, and they reach out. So Teach you how to have fun. Yeah. Even though life can look pretty dark in the moment right how old are you at that point in your life when you're when you're when you entered that that program i was i want to say one turning one like i was a baby so you're a toddler yeah i was a baby you're a toddler and your mom must be a great woman yeah she's strong strong woman must be incredibly strong strong. strong so she has the foresight to say hey uh times may be difficult for me right now uh, difficult for us, uh, to say the least, and I say difficult. Um, it doesn't quite cover it, but uh, but I want these children of mine to have an opportunity to experience more than what I'm able to give right now. Is that right? Right. And so that she, you're in this program, and and that program obviously did something for you. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, I look at you right now, and I can just see kind of a passion and fire in your eyes to give back. Yeah, it kind of shaped my worldviews when I got old enough to realize you know what I've been through early on I'd say like my early teens is when I really started kind of like being more observant of my surroundings and like kind of understanding like what I'm about and who I've been dealing with throughout my lifetime it's what kind of like triggered that moment of like okay I want to be that same person when I'm older like Mm -hmm. I want to be you know the kid who everyone can look up to you know, or reach out to if they need help or assistance. And that's kind of what led me to, you know, doing youth work because I'm around kids who are just like me growing up. Like yeah. some of them homeless, some of them dealing with, you know, abuse, neglect, you know, just not in the best living conditions, you know. Mm-hmm. And seeing that is like, you know, you were just like me when I was younger. Like this is what I can tell you to do so you can kind of like go around the hard roads that I took and you yeah. can kind of just get to where you need to be. I to love that. Stay, you know, I love that. So you, task. you recognize some mistakes you made along the way. Oh yeah, for sure. You do for sure. And you have the humility to be able to admit that you made these mistakes. No, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's what kind of drives me as a person, you know, uh, just understanding when I failed and knowing like how I've done it and kind of shaping that to where I know, not to do it again. Yeah, you know? yeah. So. And what a what a, you can't ask for a more powerful example than having someone who's relatable, which I'm putting both of you in that class for a young man or woman, and saying, "Look, guys, you know, I was you. Right. I recognize what you're going through. Right. Yeah, you know, I can feel it. I can still feel it. What it feels like to be." 10, 12, 13 years right. old. Have the insecurities. Have the doubt. Have the fear. Trauma whatever it happens to be. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about what I did right, what I did wrong. And most importantly, I'm going to be there if you call me right. or you need me. Is right. that right? Yeah, exactly. And how much, how many, how many people do you have at a time that you're, that you're working with? Oh man, uh, with kids, I think our youth center held about like 90 kids, but we would split up between staff members and oftentimes we'll run like personal workshops with like a group of like 10, 15 each. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I, I got to tell you, um, is your, is your mom alive? Yeah. She's, she's, she's doing alive and well here. Good, good, good. She must be awfully proud. Yeah, she is actually. Um, it's to a point where I can't tell her to stop 
telling me she's proud of me. <laughs> Mom's a great one. Yeah, like it's like it's like all right, Ma, you're kinda like overdoing it. Like I got it the first seven times. You know? <laughs> it doesn't get old though. You know what? Really? Yeah. You can't you yeah. can't help it. So your uh, hopes right now, you're you're currently studying you have your communications major I'm a psychology, psychology major. Psychology yeah, major. Yeah, yeah, so no kidding. Yeah. So what are you thinking about for the future? Man, I actually Other than radio. I actually want to um backpack off of my family friend Steve and kind of run my own nonprofit organization um you know just uh, helping reach out to kids in you know urban communities who are like you know the less fortunate um like I said I'm from Cambridge Mass like everyone knows of Cambridge Mass between Harvard and MIT yeah but they don't know like the in-betweens and that's kind of where I grew up in the in-betweens where you fall through those cracks like there's still a ghetto like even though all the gentrification there's still like a hood per se like yep. there's still a lot of violence that goes on that we deal with that a lot of people don't see because oh it's cambridge you guys have harvard there's no way it's a bad place right there's mit there's no way there's a bad place but on the contrary you know every every i want to say bright side has their dark side so well put yeah and it exists uh, i i was shocked to find out that homelessness exists out here in franklin yeah. it exists everywhere yeah it's uh, it's omnipresent, if yeah. you will. I, I sit on a uh, on kind of a crisis team where we talk about people that are in need and in Norfolk. They're sleeping in the woods. Mm -hmm. I mean, it mm -hmm. happens, and trauma is everywhere as well. Yeah. I know. I was shocked. I was. I'm involved with the Big Brothers program, mm -hmm. and I was shocked. I'm out of the Ocean State because um, because uh, it's closer. Um, to find out that in Rhode Island there were 800 young men looking for Big Brothers on a waiting list. Wow! Just to show you that the amount of need there is. I actually had a big brother too. I, Did you I, really? Yeah, I had a big brother. I had like two of them when I was growing up. Yeah, work so, to yeah. help. It was all right. Um, it's just more or less they. I wasn't really like relatable to them. Like, Got it. We kind of didn't gel, but you know the time that we spent. It was pretty cool. Yeah, matching's really yeah, important. Yeah. yeah, I've had my, uh, well, he's not a little brother anymore. He's now 19, Jacques Vieira, um, if you're listening. Um, he's uh, he's a great young man. He's now in college, and um, but I got him when he was 14. So uh, he's going to be a, a, a life, a long, long part of my right. life, hopefully a long life. Um, Thank you for sharing that. Oh, anytime. Uh, I just want to remind everybody we're on Chapters Radio. I'm speaking with Takeem Gomes <laughs> and Randolph Thurman. Randolph, let's turn it over to you. Randolph, tell me about who you are and where you came from and how you got to Dean. Well, like you said, my name is Randolph Thurman. Uh, I'm originally from Lynn, Mass, but moved to Swampscott, Mass. Uh -huh. I came to Dean in 2014, straight yep. out of high school. I went to Wilbraham and Munson Academy out in Western Mass. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, it's out in the sticks. Yeah. The, like, <laughs> no. middle of nowhere. Yeah, big time. Middle of nowhere. But um, I came to Dean, came to do one year, thought it was just strictly basketball, just like Takeem said. Um, yeah. And I let a lot of outside things get in the way of that. And unfortunately, it got me kicked out of school. Mm -hmm. um, so I was home for a semester not really knowing how to go about things, not really knowing what to do, just like in a real dark place. Um, so then I ended up taking some classes over at North Shore Community College and got myself back to Dean so I could play again and just hopefully fit in, hopefully finish out my um, rest of my college career here. Yep. Um, ever since I got back, I've just been working hard, trying to, not, trying to learn from my mistakes, mm -hmm. getting back to where I wanted to be. And... Um, Recently, last summer, I took a class with John Rook, who is a um, who's somebody who really 
helped change my perspective on things. Voice and, of the New England Patriots. Yes. Yeah. And also the Providence Friars. Yeah. Um, he introduced f- me to this communications thing and I loved it. Did you? I took one of his classes and I loved it. So. Isn't that great? You know, everybody has that. I mean, I'm sure you guys will be that for somebody if you haven't already. But everybody, I can think back to certain points in my life where there was one person that said something they may might not have they might have thought it was a throwaway line or Mm. did something for me and you say hey you know what i want that right you know so that you had that experience with him yes and is he is he in touch with you now or does he know we still talk we still talk he's actually helping trying to help me get an internship this summer great um and i'll 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 email him here and there like oh can we talk sometime he's always free always ready to talk Mm -hmm. always ready to give me some advice when i need it Mm -hmm. Actually, what's funny about it is that I went to him before our turtle tank. Yeah. And he gave me some pointers, and I ended up winning it. Is that right? Did you tell him? Yeah, I did. Awesome. He was excited for it, too. Fantastic. Fantastic. Maybe we'll send the show on over to him. Um, Tell me about your your life growing up. I mean, was it a good life growing Uh, up? It was a good life. You Get through high school okay? I had uh, my mom, my dad, and my brother. Good. Um. At first, living in Lynn, Mass, is kind of rough. We lived in uh, one house. It was me, my brother, my dad, my mom, yep. aunts, cousins, my grandparents. It was a lot of us in one house. Um, early on, my dad, he was he gra- he got his master's degree from Holy Cross and had been working at the um, NBTA, mm-hmm. trying to build his own business, and he ended up building a business now he's a public consultant for mea mm-hmm. he works on state street um for uh mea marion edwards associates oh got it okay yes yeah um he got us out the house he got us a better life by moving us over to swamp scott he's ever since then been paying for school bringing us again us to prep schools college everything like that so he's really changed our lives and made it the made it better for us i'm gonna take a wild guess you were hard on yourself, harder on yourself than your dad was on you when you had that hiccup. Yeah. And you left Dean. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I know that feeling. Um, I remember my dad looking at me, and I was begging him to hit me because what he said instead of hitting me was, when I'd made a mistake, was I'm disappointed in you. Right. That felt like an anvil right. had fallen on my head. Yeah. I felt crushed. Especially just in seeing everything that he went through. And so, for me... It felt like I showed that I was not appreciative for the things that he did for us. You, you, know? you felt that? Yes. Yeah. I just felt like he 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 worked hard to get us to where we were and then I just set back. I set us back. Right. And he um he worked he worked his butt off really. Just try to make our make our life better, me and my brother and my mother. Yep. And just to for me to fail out of school it just made it that much worse for me. Yep. It made it feel like I wasn't working hard enough yeah and i'm just wondering um I, I, we just met of course but i'm looking at looking at you and i'm guessing your dad's a pretty loving guy yes he is and he's a pretty forgiving guy when you when you put your hands back in and say okay now i want to make good yes he yes is. yeah and you realize now that things are okay with him yes yeah. of course yeah i'm his son at the end of the day so you're his son <laughs> very at the, forgiving you're his son at the end of the day exactly yes. so i mean to me um God, what a blessing, right, to have that in your life. Right. And uh, what a lesson moving forward. Right. I have the same type of dad. Um, I made some monumental errors in my life. Right. Um, 
And uh, but the one thing I always knew I had was his unconditional love. That didn't mean that he just said, "Hey, no problem. Mm-hmm. Let's keep nothing to see here." Right. Quite the contrary. But um, but you know that to me, that's that's part of becoming a man is is understanding is having the and the ability and the humility to admit when you're wrong. Say those two underused words. I'm sorry. You know, those are tough, right? It those is. are real tough. It is tough. right. <laughs> It really is. definitely tough. Right? You take a big bite out of humble pie, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, damn, you know, I got to, ugh. And then having the courage to say, I'm going to use that as a lesson and I'm going to exceed even what I expect to do. I'm going to push myself off of that thing and use it as a propellant into the future as opposed to I'm going to sit in my pity pot. That's right. And say, hey, you know what? You just got thrown out. You got a right to be depressed and sad. Right. You know, someone someone told me once when I was on a in a victim mentality, I'm not going to co-sign your BS. Mm. My dad told me the times. same yeah. thing Did he really? in, another, in a different way. But. I love your dad. <laughs> I've heard that a few times. Right. I've, ha- I've had it happen to me yeah. recently. So it's just one of those lessons to keep going yeah. on. Right? right. Like, you know, enough. OK, we get it. You've had a tough time. Right. right. You know, you've we get it. But I'm not going to co-sign it. So you have succeeded yes and you've been a dean since you got uh since you left yes <laughs> in better words <laughs> since you were asked to relocate mm-hmm. um it's been what two years it has been three years three years yes. fantastic so you're more than successful you're playing hoops again yes i mean this is a good story a really really good story how the team do this year we did really well yeah. um I forget our specific record, but we made it to nationals. We went down to Pennsylvania, ended up losing two games, but yep, it's the biggest stage that we could get to. Yep, so. yep, it's fantastic. And how do you have an older brother, older sister? No, younger brother. Younger Three brother. Years younger. So he's got a good role model. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I am compelled to ask you guys a couple of questions. Um, before I do, I want to remind everybody you're listening to Chapters Radio. I can be found on my podcast, Chapters radio.com my name's jim derrick um i do have uh, a couple of questions i want to ask you guys and i'm going to push the envelope a little bit okay one is i want to talk a little bit about race and i want to talk about race in the suburbs franklin massachusetts i'm curious about the current environment and and this is because i have a sensitivity to our current political environment and candidly i don't like it and uh, and so I, I like to ask people from varied backgrounds. We had uh, Pamela Duran on a couple of weeks ago, who's from Ecuador. We've spoken to uh, Rabbi Alpert here, who reported that uh, the Anti-Defamation League says that anti-Semitic hate crimes are up 87% in the last eight months. Wow. Yeah. So I'm just curious from your perspective. Yeah, so it's kind of tough just, you know, knowing what's still going on in the world that you're actually like learning about that they're teaching us in elementary school you know it's like it's almost like two sides to every story with it because i remember um i spent some of my childhood in somerville living in somerville mass um and it is a predominantly white uh city or town have you may have you um and there's like little projects like there's three different projects well two projects and that's in that town and they're all filled with majority it's all par- perverted you know minorities you'll have like your one or two poverty you know whites and then everybody else is like you know immigrant haitian puerto rican african-american such as myself so it's like you find that comfort zone 
you know in your projects like you know you know everyone you feel like your your own city or town but then once you step outside of those projects it's completely different you know it's like people look at you different you feel like you're like an outsider and like and it goes like when you're in your schools as well like you get labeled as the project kid or you're one of those kids and it's mm -hmm. like you know they teach you you're learning in like history class about like you know civil rights movement and stuff like that it's like wow like we have people like martin luther king and malcolm x and like you know rose parks who did all this for us but it like it kind of feels like nothing's like nothing actually ever happened you know what i mean like we're still sitting in the back of the bus we still like second to you know that's what it feels like well for me personally I, yeah it could be different for you but for yeah. me like you know just going through like public schools like teachers talk to you different they respond to you different you know look at you different too they look at you different you approach them you have to approach them a certain way or you know they'll just turn you away and it's just like one of those things that you kind of deal with and um, as a kid, it, it kind of like, it sucks, you know, because it's like you feel like everyone's against you and it kind of makes it, it kind of like you get angry at that. And, you know, for most people that I know, like that violence, that anger turns into like violence, crime and hate. And for some, it's like you have, you know, others who you can be around to help you cope with it. You know, what I mean, luckily for me, like, you know, every time I've dealt with, you know, an issue of some sort like I was either with somebody or around people that kind of helped me veer away from what I just experienced and just move forward instead of like you know what I'm going to retaliate I'm going to see you when I see you and you know handle it a different way um but yeah it's tough uh and it's like when you get to you know my age like I'm a lot older than most college students but it's like you still kind of see that you know it reflects in the community in general like even at dean like you know your white people will predominantly chill with your you know white people and your athletes will be with your athletes and you know so forth and so on and it, it's like it's one of those things that are just like a um i don't want to say like a blue law but similar to like a blue law, like one of those things that are kind of set in stone but no one really pays attention to it's really well you know? that's a great so, yeah, metaphor so like i think that it is what it is what you said really hit me between the solar plexus um when you juxtapose having being taught about martin luther king i, I know i went to selma you watch you know you, you see all of this and how much progress we've made and on and on and on but in the real world on the ground boots on the ground you have the sense that nothing's really changed right um that's got to be really strange as a kid you're being messaged one thing on yeah. one side, and if you're experiencing and feeling a different thing, and maybe there's a lot of conflict in yourself saying, do I have this wrong? Right. Am I crazy? What's your experience been like, Randolph? Well, my experience has been up and down. You know, um, Tukim's from Cambridge, and I'm from, so I live in Swampscott now. Swampscott is a predominantly white town. Yeah. Um, so when I first moved there, you know, being around so many people that weren't like me, I felt as if that I was like the oddball, like you you could point me out Absolutely. at everybody who yep. was there. So fortunately for me, I was as a kid I was really sociable, like I like to talk to people and you had some kids that were embracing of that, you know, was make easy friends and then other kids were not so were not as much like that. So I had a spectrum of being liked and being looked at as like there's like 
you could tell that they were looking at me different. Like the other. Right, the other side. The other, I hate, yeah. And, you know, I've had many experiences from even my neighbors. Like, I have, we're all really tight-knit, but if you walk somewhat down the street when I was a child, I had some experiences where older people who probably grew up in, like, the times where they... 50s, 60s. Right. Yeah. yeah. That they didn't, they didn't like me just from looking at me. Yeah. And I've had some instances, even playing sports, yep. where there are people who are, who are um, saying derogatory things to oh, me yeah. on the field. The, ooh, the fans. Really? Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, it's tough. Just, you guys are young, so that's recent. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, even growing up playing Pop Warner, just you have coaches on the other teams saying derogatory things to me on the field because I'm the one, I'm the one African American kid on the team, so they can single me out. You saw 42? Yes, I did. I did. I mean, uh, I know my father was alive when, when uh, Jackie Robinson was playing. That's who we're referring to, the story of that. And if you haven't seen it, I urge people to see it. It's a powerful movie. It's very powerful. It's movie. My dad told me, my dad was a, went to a lot of ball games when he was mm -hmm. a kid, and he still does. Uh, he said, Jim, uh, take that and triple it. The amount of uh, race-related profanity, the amount of spitting on him, the amount of abuse he took. That was portrayed in that movie he said triple quadruple it i was there i heard it with my own ears i saw it it was mm -hmm. unbelievable um you know th this is i really appreciate you guys talking about this so candidly and openly it's it's fascinating to me <clears throat> as a 58 year old white guy who came from privilege um, relative privilege growing up in Needham, Massachusetts. Um, it's always been a subject that's fascinated me. My mom was one of those people that I, um, this is what shaped me. When we were young, there was a black family looking at real estate in our neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And I remember a realtor saying, I'm not showing this house to them and kind of chuckling about it. My mother said, oh, yeah. And my mother went out and organized a neighborhood group yeah. and went down to the realty company. And, and that was my first experience. So yeah, that's what right. shapes mm -hmm. you, right? Right. right? I mean, and my parents shaped me that um, I can't say we're colorblind because that that's just not true. Right. I mean, you, everybody sees colors, shapes, yeah. forms, but they they really molded me to to realize that a from a from a economic standpoint, I won the lucky sperm club. <laughs> I literally won the lottery. Meaning, there's there's no separation between me and someone that's homeless other than the fact that I happen to be born into this family. Right. And right. who decided that? I don't know, depending upon your faith and your religion or your spiritual, it, it could be God, it could be who knows, but somehow I got there. So there's no difference between me and the kid in the street corner. Right. On any street corner, whether it's the Dominican Republic, whether it's Haiti, whether it's downtown Boston, or whether it's Needham, Massachusetts, we're, we're just, we're all of the same being. Uh, that was number one. And number two, they really, really emphasized to me how difficult it was to grow up in a society that in large part in the 60s, I grew up in the 60s, um, when busing was mm -hmm. happening and you know all hell was breaking loose, how difficult, and they, they wanted me to imagine what it would be like to be, in this case, the Gibson family, moving in to Needham, Massachusetts, um, and, to be to and to be under, behind their backs being told they're not gonna be showing houses right. in certain neighborhoods. And that actually reminds me because that my rocked my world. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, that's my fault. I interrupted you. No, please. But um, my grandparents are in their 80s now, so they grew up through all of it. Yeah. Born in uh, born in Missouri, Kansas City. Um, they were going through everything when it comes to busing. When it comes to not like you couldn't go to the same bathrooms, you couldn't drink from the same water. 
everything. And they have, like them explaining where, how they came up. And even my mother had to grow through it for a little while as well. Yep. Yeah, my dad experienced that too. My uh, right. my dad's from Dorchester. Um, well, originally from Georgia in the country, Statesboro. But they, um, my grandmother and you know his people moved up to Boston. They live in Dorchester Harbor Point, and um, he was he was in high school around those times where they were integrating the buses in the schools. And he would always tell me stories because he ended up having to go to Southie. And it was like mm. crazy, like crazy. And so, my dad told so me Boston, about South yeah. Boston as well. So, like he would tell me like all the, the stories about like how he'll be on the bus. And there was times where like they couldn't even get off the bus because people were throwing like rocks and yep. stuff at the window. And I'm like, you're not that much older than me. You right. know what I mean? And it's like, it's crazy that it's like you can tell me these things and I can somewhat like you know relate to it still just not to that extent of being like having rocks thrown at my bus but like we still get that type of like you know that energy we still get that type of like hate and stuff and that's what that's one thing that I always have to remember is like we always say that it's a quality you don't really see black or white you don't really see race but we're not that far from where we're not that far from when this time happened. So 50 like, years ago. Right. The oldest. 50 years ago. Grandparents. Yeah. Grandparents and everything like that. They're, they were the ones who were smack dab in the middle right. of everything. So, you know, even you still, you, I'm not saying like my parent, my grandparents are like this or somebody else's are, but there are some grandparents who don't like certain people because of the color of their skin or their race or something like that. So it's still being passed down now. Absolutely. But probably further down the line, maybe we can, maybe it won't be that way. I want to remind everybody, my name is Jim Derrick. This is Chapters Radio. You can find me on my podcast, chaptersradio.com. I've had a great conversation with Randolph and Takim from Dean College, who were gracious enough to come down to the studio. Um, I did want to pick up on something that you just said, Randolph. Um, You are so right about that. And And the reason why I like to having these conversations is that history will repeat itself Mm -hmm. if we're not careful. We have to learn, learn and listen and learn history in this political climate right now. I hate to say it, but we are farther away than we were two years ago, a year ago from 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 where we've been. And it wasn't even that good then. Um, It was great. We started to make progress. We did. We had President Obama. We had our first African-American president. but I still sense that I, I forget. I still sense um, this slide backwards and how quickly we slid backwards. And frankly, you know, when you look at the approval polls and all that, this is just my own feeling. I, I, I think that it's the vocal minority of people yeah. that are drumming this up. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. Um, however, to hear you absent the political environment, to hear you relate your stories and say. You know, we're being taught all this about civil rights and all the progress we've made, but experientially, it doesn't match up. That's jarring, but it's real. And and I think we have to have more of these conversations. Would you not agree? Oh, of course. You know? Of course. Um, it's the I, only way we can move past it. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, the great thing is that you guys are both mentors. And um, what's remarkable to me about young men like you is that, uh, you've had a lot of different experiences. You've both had your own hardship. You've both had to get back up off the mat. And I don't sense bitterness. I don't sense any victim mentality. I don't sense anything other than I can't wait to get out and slay it in the world. Yeah. You <laughs> know, the goal. That's, That's life, life, right? Oh, yeah. That's life. 
great. Well, thank you guys very much. Thank you. Thank you for having us. And thanks to everybody for listening to Chapters. We'll see you next week.